0: G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey and
1: this is Psych,
0: Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day dad, how are you going today?
1: Good thanks Rowan, good to be back with you for another year and yeah, how are you?
0: Well, absolutely, yeah, good to be back and oh, obviously I've caught up with you a few times but having your year officially on the podcast dad, it is good to be back for another year had a a good break, a bit of time off over the holiday period and, uh, yeah, ready to get back into it with a a good, fun topic to start off, Dad.
1: Absolutely, but it was a fun topic the last time too. Watching sport, we did a bit of that in the meantime too, didn't we? Oh,
0: certainly as always, Dad. I, uh, yeah, got my good fix over the holidays and with the Australian Open coming up, it's a great time of year, so very much enjoying myself and uh, looking forward to getting into today's episode, Dad, which we've called... Benefits of Sharing Sacred Stories.
1: So what are we going to be talking about today? Okay, well, one of the things that many people would know is that I'm very interested in synchronicity or meaningful coincidences. But one of the main reasons for that is I think that when we look at experiences of amazing coincidences, sometimes it points at another dimension in life that we might even call sacred It suggests that there's some kind of higher organising force in the world. We could call it related to mystical experience or spiritual experience... It sometimes can seem spooky at a certain level, but there are a range of ways that people can have some kinds of spiritual experiences which you can't just explain rationally, which seems to suggest some higher consciousness at work, if you like, even if you're not a particularly religious person. And I think for people's well-being... It's good to be able to talk about these kind of experiences that can be uplifting, it can be meaningful, but sometimes people are a bit shy about telling such stories as we're going to describe today because they think it might seem a bit superstitious or weird or maybe the person sounds like they're crazy because they believe something which is really hard to explain rationally. And, yeah, I think it's helpful to acknowledge a deeper... Well, even intuitive, spiritual, or mystical side of life, and one way of exploring that is synchronicity stories. But there are other experiences that people can have of spiritual experiences, similarly, that point to a deeper dimension in life.
0: Well, I think it's so true, and I suppose sacred is one of these words. But many of the words that we're using today, and and We'll be talking about meaning and, and spiritual and mystical, in some ways, experiences over the next few episodes, but I suppose in some ways, many of these words kind of already have lots of connotations with them already, like usually in a religious sense a lot of the time, and I suppose through you a know, way of background, Dad, like you and I, I suppose, uh, are not particularly religious in a way, like we're... You know, and don't have a particular denomination of christianity or or another organized religion that we are uh, subscribed to in a way but we're both very interested in this sort of thing and like it's one thing that I've certainly been very interested in recently I mentioned it towards the end of last year but come across a, a series by a canadian professor by the name of john vervakee called awakening from the meaning crisis and and it deals with some of these notions but in a way that's not particularly religious just in the language that's used a lot of I suppose the ideas intersect with different elements of, of many different religions but it's been fascinating for me anyway to I suppose learn about some of these ideas in a way that oh, I suppose has been you know accessible for for my kind of background not necessarily coming from a, a religion dad so it's going to be good to chat with you today about this sort of stuff but also from a maybe a perspective that isn't particularly tied to a an organized religion at the moment, but we are both very interested in many of the ideas that come from different religions and, and how we can integrate those with, the, with a with a modern scientific worldview as well.
1: Yes, well with the name of our podcast being Psych Spiels and Silver Linings, an optimistic way of looking at well-being. Well it's hard to consider well-being without considering our sense of meaning or purpose in life. Even with the positive psychology PERMA model, where we look at the M in PERMA, P-E-R-M-A, as being meaning, the others being positive affect, engagement in roles and, and tasks in life. R for relationships, A for achievement, but meaning. It's a very important component of well-being. And when we think in terms of meaning, we sometimes think also in terms of life purpose, life purpose and meaning. Well, I think one of the things that's happening in psychology increasingly over time is appreciating the importance to people's well-being of having a sense of meaning and purpose, sometimes over and above happiness in terms of pleasure, I think that's one of the trends happening in psychology, not just looking at, say, pleasure or feeling good in any kind of hedonistic sense. The lasting benefits we're going to get from well wellbeing will get more benefit from having a sense of meaning or purpose.
0: Well, it is a real trend in psychology at the moment in many ways, isn't it? Like, you know, you, you know a lot more about this than me and, and we have spoken a little bit about it on the podcast before, but I believe it was Martin Seligman who was certainly, say, one of the people involved in the trend towards, I suppose, studying happiness and being a lot more interested in the, the science of happiness in many ways. And I believe it was following on from his work on learned helplessness that, Seligman basically decided to look into learned optimism, almost the positive side of those things. And I think it's almost been maybe a... Side effect in some ways of, of having such a focus on something like happiness, which is you know it's a great positive emotion in many ways, but it is a little bit maybe surface level at times. And like we see, for example, in the last few years, like so many more people, for example, I think doing yoga and engaging in, for example, mindfulness practices. And like you know, I, I love Twitter, Dad. I'm a, a bit of a Twitter nuffin. Like have these uh plenty of accounts and stuff on Twitter. It might be, for example, the Daily Stoic or you know yeah it might be you know Marcus Aurelius sort of for your daily sort of fix or whatever it is like I can't remember the, the names off the top of my head now but I find it so interesting that this kind of philosophy that's essentially from two and a half thousand years ago we're almost hearkening back to it recognizing that there's maybe some more wisdom in it than maybe kind of society broadly has perceived so like it is fascinating that we we I think are maybe going back a little bit more to some of those maybe cultures and philosophies that I think personally maybe have a little bit more wisdom in them. Maybe we've gone a bit away from, say, like a wisdom tradition in the West. And so it's, I think, fascinating that almost of people's own volition in some ways, there's so many kind of factors of, say, materialism and, and, you know, capitalism, all this sort of stuff, pulling us away from some of these notions of, say, meaning and purpose. But it's almost like as a society, we've found ourselves back there recognizing that there is more need for it in the way that we have approached things recently.
1: Yes, actually, a few things that come to my mind then, and you mentioned Martin Seligman specifically, and he was always careful with the positive psychology movement and approach to not have it just descend into happyology, was the way that he put it. It's not the smiley face aspect, and that's where looking at the other dimensions of well-being. It would include say, meaning and achievement in the PERMA model. But it actually reminds me of something he described of his own experience that showed how he would value maybe meaning over and above, feeling good in a happy, light-hearted way. When I asked him about the work that he did with the US Army, when they're basically setting out to train a million US soldiers and partners and others in positive psychology. It was this huge operation. I think it was going to be funded by about $100 million as a real weight of responsibility. And I remember asking Martin Seligman at a conference, look, what's that like, having all that responsibility for that such a large project? There's so much investment and so much invested in it. Uh, What's that like? Is that something that sometimes... um, I think I asked him something to the effect, does that sometimes weigh on you? And he said something to the effect of, well, every night at three o'clock in the morning, as though he would sometimes have somewhat sleepless nights or at least sometimes have it weighing quite heavily on his mind, that sense of responsibility. Now, you don't take on a project like that for just happiness and feeling good and feeling light. Why would you do that? That is something you'd have to be committed to, to the nth degree. He was personally looking at helping train 40,000 troop sergeants, for example, in the US Army and very involved in getting a whole team together over years to follow through this project. And so I wasn't that surprised in some ways some years later when he described that he saw positive psychology as a sacred mission. Now, what does that mean, a sacred mission? It means it's more than just having a bee in your bonnet. It's more than just having some ambition or thinking you should do something. It was suggesting that there was something maybe larger involved in that even maybe something beyond the individual that can drive you in a certain way and I think that's interesting if we consider at times the trade-off between meaning and say a lighter kind of happiness anyone who's doing further study like a PhD for example they're making sacrifices in their social life and their time and all the rest of it you don't do it just to feel happy I think that's a meaning or purpose thing that people are going for so sometimes there's a bit of a trade-off between these things and I think as time goes on and people are looking at some of the things that really lead to lasting well-being there's a nudge in the direction of that purpose and meaning rather than the lighter happiness and up mood.
0: Well absolutely and I heard a a fascinating way of putting it recently on a podcast and it was talking about say like meaning in life and this sort of thing and and, you know why would we want to have meaning in, in life as opposed to, say, happiness? Like, why would meaning be a priority for us? And it was talking about, say, say you were granted immortality. So, you know, a bit of a, a wacky thought in some ways, but, you know, you're, you're given by, you know, some sort of, you know, power, the ability to live forever. And so, you know, that's great. And, you know, you go about your time. And so, like, for me, Dad, I love golf. So I'd probably, I'd probably spend a lot of time playing golf if I was immortal and, Probably get pretty good at golf. Maybe I'd get so good at golf that I could go through a round of golf in, like, say, 18 strokes. Like, eventually, you'd, you know, you just keep practicing and practicing. And, you know, you're immortal, so you just keep getting better and better, and then eventually you get mastery at it. And then so eventually you go, all right, golf done, so oh, I quite like playing guitar as well, so I'm going to learn to play guitar. And eventually you've mastered the guitar, and eventually you go into something else, and then you've mastered that, and eventually you've mastered everything. And then what? And then at that stage, like, what do you do? Like, where is, I suppose, the joy in life? Like, you're not getting any level of flow because as we've spoken about in previous episodes, there's a level of, say, calling upon your expertise and challenging yourself that's involved in flow. So if you're almost mastering everything to the point of running out of challenge, if that makes sense, well, it's like, well that, that wouldn't necessarily be a super appealing way to live. So what that suggests is that, you know, if we're looking at, say, like a, an ideal way to go about things... Well, there is some level of meaning and maybe, you know, looking to take on challenge at times that, that is part of life that's going to involve that kind of ideal way of living. It's not necessarily just about, you know, finding things that we enjoy doing, become as
1: good as possible, at them, and then away we go. Yeah, look, that actually reminds me something about what's so satisfying being a psychotherapist. And what you notice with people, and this is also the difference between, I suppose, having some kind of mental health challenges and a sense of well-being. The two aren't just inversely related, some kind of mental health problem and and a sense of well-being. What strikes me as being so important to people is having a sense of growth, having a sense of development. Now, a number of people who are dealing with, say, depression or recovering from depression or some kind of mental health problem, or it might even be dealing with pain or some challenge or coming through trauma reactions, as people get a sense of making progress, like they're getting a sense of traction. They can see where they're going. They can feel also they're growing from the experience. They're learning some things that are valuable to them as people and in their relationships. There's something uplifting about that, even if people still have a degree of anxiety or depression or trauma reactions or what otherwise we might define as clinical problems or diagnoses, where there might be other people who have more mild difficulties objectively yet there's the feeling of stagnation, of lack of growth, of maybe not making progress in some areas. So that's one of the things that I really like also about a growth mindset in positive psychology or we describe in other ways. You also mentioned the notion of flow. We're going to experience more of that flow and engagement If we're taking on challenges but we feel we're getting somewhere, we can use our resources, we can develop them and one of the ways of using our resources is to have some kind of life challenge or struggles including learning a new job or learning a new skill or even with study and finding something's difficult but persisting at it. That's all part of growth and that actually is a vital thing. That's part of our vitality. So you don't have to be on top of everything or good at everything and it's not terrible if you're struggling with something. The thing is to be able to feel you're making some kind of progress. You're getting somewhere. There's some purpose or meaning to it. It's not absolutely where you are, good or bad, skilled or not. It's that sense of development that really counts.
0: What I wonder then is like, so oh, I suppose about therapy in that sense, like, like John Viveki, this, uh, this fellow who I'm loving this lecture series at the moment, he describes sacredness in terms of, so what makes something sacred is that it's an inexhaustible fount, so like a, an inexhaustible source of insight and intelligibility that is transformative of us. So it seems to me that like say when someone goes to therapy it's almost like inherently what they are looking for is kind of more sacred experiences in a way like they're looking for a transformation that comes from somewhere whether it you know it be through that therapist or you know the therapist might help them put some practices into place that's going to help them find that on their own but it seems that there is this element of therapy that is almost searching for a kind of personal sacred transformative experience in a way yes i
1: think a lot of people do have a yearning for a kind of deeper meaning so an important aspect of therapy like with cognitive behavioral therapy and so the most popular therapies of the last 50 years or so they're partly based on rational thinking for example if people have difficulties with depression it's picking up on the negative thoughts and challenging them if people have problems with anxiety it's picking up on exaggerated thoughts of danger or threat and looking to address them if people have problems with anger how that can come in with expectations or how guilt can be related to Self criticism in terms of unrealistic expectations or difficulty accepting experiences from the past. Now, part of that does mean looking to develop our further objectivity to be able to stand back from our thoughts a lot of therapy involves what we call a decentering process we don't just engage with our thoughts as though they're facts and and true and we don't just relate to our feelings of anxiety or sadness or depression as though that's just like factual that's just how the world is our thoughts or perceptions might be distorted but yes I think underneath that Often people are yearning for something more. I think often people are yearning for something somewhat more transformative than just nudging our thoughts in a more logical direction. And funnily enough, some of the experiences we'll talk about in our next podcast, which is how people sometimes feel a connection with the deceased, which involves, say, a loved one, the person feels they've had some kind of real-world connection with them in some way through hearing their voice or some other kind of experience. There are experiences that people can have that you can't readily explain by logic or rationally that can be powerfully meaningful that can help people feel that they're connected to something beyond themselves, including, for example, loved ones that they've lost, or even a kind of higher wisdom or consciousness. Sometimes people have a sense of an understanding coming to them or a perspective on something as though it's from a more timeless, wise kind of source. And I think that's getting at something of, of wisdom, something that we would often have associated with religion, in the past but even people as you were describing earlier who are not religious can sometimes feel that their ways of tapping into deeper kind of wisdom even what jung would have called the collective unconscious even imagery that might come to us in dreams sometimes there seems to be a source of understanding or insight which is just beyond our own brains Well, I think that's
0: so true and and just so fascinating in many ways and, like, obviously that occurs on an individual level but I suppose this is where, you know, partly this episode comes from in many ways is that this is, I think, happening on a more collective, almost societal level, almost global level in some ways too, I reckon, Dad, like, that whole idea of, you know, yearning for a deeper meaning and how, say, therapies in the last, you know, say, 50 years or whatever so have been based on more rational thinking. Like, it's so interesting that, say, even... The term meaning that we use, like this is something, you know, another Vavakey thing, you might be coming up a bit in the next few episodes, Dad, but like the word meaning in itself is a metaphor, like the way that we use the term meaning in our life, it's basically saying that, you know, our life almost fits together with this coherence in the same way that a sentence does, like a sentence has meaning or a story has meaning, like has a, a coherent beginning, middle and an end, like... Like what suggests that our life should have that sort of thing, you know? Like we could, you know not to get too grim about it, but you know, you could basically fall over and die tomorrow. But at the same time we have this sense that our life has some sort of almost coherent narrative to it. And it's almost up to us to sort of find out what that is. And I wonder if that is something that can be done through purely rational means, Dad. It's almost like we need to call on some Almost supra-rational tools in a way, not necessarily irrational, but almost say beyond rational, to help us kind of piece together all those kind of say what can seem as say disparate events in our life. I know that uh, your grandma, my great grandmother, had this uh, saying about how as you get older in life, it's almost like the puzzle pieces fit together more and. Like, to me, that gets at this notion of, say, why we use meaning in life. It's almost as if as we get older and we mature and and go through more, there seems to be this kind of coherent narrative that does fit together in a way, and it seems to me that some of the maybe rational therapies maybe haven't allowed for an exploration of that side of things as much as, say, some other ways of thinking about it, which is maybe why people have gravitated towards things like, say, yoga and mindfulness and, and, say, you know, more Eastern practices, for lack of a better term.
1: Yes, so what sometimes comes up in discussion in mental health circles is that when people were looking at Eastern practices, say with yoga or certain forms of breathing, there'd be this notion of the practical strategies that go with those exercises that help people with relaxation, so mindfulness, yoga, that kind of thing. But over time, people are becoming more interested maybe in some of the philosophies that go with it as well. And Westerners being more interested in Buddhist philosophy would be another example. But even as people explore learning from the Stoic philosophers which was so influential in those cognitive behavioural techniques which draw on logic. But interestingly, the early Stoics, they also were quite open to notions of meaning and some of their interpretations of things that you could say have quite a spiritual dimension to them and in terms of the values that they would look to encourage. But yeah, I'm sure that a number of our podcasts this year are going to have some of this theme of meaning coming through because it is a trend in psychology and for well-being to look at that. And I think it's helpful to think of meaning in terms of the three aspects that stand out. It's to do with coherence. So we want our lives to make sense and that aspect of where things do seem to fit together in a certain way. It's about significance. So our lives make a difference. There's something important about our life experience. And then there's purpose. So who am I? What am I on about? How might I... Live my best life. How might I contribute in different ways? How might I serve other people is part of that as well. So coherence, significance and purpose. And often how people come to those things, it's not just through some rational analysis of their life or things that have happened. Sometimes it's through some terrible crisis. Sometimes it's through a loss. Sometimes it's through their path being blocked in some way and then having to turn into a different direction. With some people I know, it's come through suicide attempts and what's happened to help people survive and then get beyond that and then how profoundly they change things after that sometimes it's from a dislocation in our life or things turning upside down things feel like they're coming apart that help us put things together in a new way and it makes a big difference if people can have a sense of meaning and purpose when they're doing that
0: well it's interesting as you describe that there because obviously like i agree and i think that you know, very much relates on an individual level. But, like, I find it interesting that it also relates in some ways on a collective level in terms of the way that it's almost like the... Well, like, John Vavakey again, I, he has a way of describing in terms of it's almost like there's light factors and dark factors that are pushing us towards meaning. And, like, I think there are almost connected in a way. And so, like, like you describe, for example, personally, say, you know, some of the dark factors could be a personal crisis which pushes towards say learning about something new which allows us to integrate new information we can say grow and mature in that way but like say we look at it at a collective level i think it's relevant too and, and this is i think where some of the benefits of sharing sacred stories to, to bring it back to today's topic comes in because it allows us as a collective to approach some of these things but say we look at say some of the dark factors for why meaning is becoming more popular as a topic and so you know there's widespread mental health issues at the moment compared to previous times and you know that the media is a lot more negative than it used to be and it's a lot harder to convey I think true information in public and you know there's a, a lack of trust in politicians and public institutions and you know there's there's some negative circumstances that are occurring in society but at the same time, it is bringing about this extra interest in meaning. And like you mentioned, for example, more of an interest in things like, say, Buddhism in the West and this sort of thing. Like, I think these things are, are linked in a way. And, like, for example, there is, say, more interest in mental health these days. There's less stigma about mental health these days. And so, like, I think there is a connection between, say, almost like the, the darker side of things and the lighter side of things. But, like, okay, it can be so hard to almost hold those two things You know, in each hand at the same time, when you're in, you know, the dark night of the soul, when you're in a a situation where you are experiencing some really negative emotion or whatever, it can be hard to contextualize things as, you know, this is a a growth opportunity and, you know, it's got to be good for me in the long run. It's like, well, geez, it sucks. And, you know, if the long run's that far in the future, I don't necessarily know if I want to wait for that, is almost the notion.
1: Yes, well, one thing that comes to my mind is. ...further distrust in leaders and power structures at times... ...like I suppose the challenge to democracy when you get a leader like Trump... And what happened on Capitol Hill, that riot, for example, that was repeated recently in Brazil, it leads to a real questioning of the authority of leaders. And just recently in Australia with George Peldine, the Catholic cardinal, well, someone with such authority within the church, but in Australia is associated so strongly with the failure of the church to follow through with dealing with reports of abuse by Catholic priests which in many cases seem to go on for decades without people being properly pulled up. That's led to a distrust at times in organised religion, but it also seems to have led to an increase in people's interest in speaking truth to power, so to speak. And part of that is people collectively getting a sense of their own authority of things, of getting the notion that it's not okay for people to mistreat other Individuals. There's more of a collective movement if you like to look to help address oppression and things like that so out of those dark kind of experiences it seems to me that there are some positive things that can come up as well including in politics people being less inclined just to follow one side of politics or the other you get more of a an alternative of different kinds of third way kind of politicians as well but I suppose part of the point I'm looking to raise there is that the old authority structures that used to be associated with things like politics and religion as they're breaking down there's something new that seems to be coming in their place which is people thinking more deeply for themselves joining with other people and looking to promote positive values like integrity or authenticity i think that there's a real movement that way
0: Well, I think for sure that is certainly something that we see a lot more of these days. And I suppose the thing that fascinates me about it is the aspect that it doesn't have to have this connection to religion. In terms of, you know, like, oh, I find religion absolutely fascinating, Dad. It's one of the most fascinating things in the world. But, for example, in recent years, we've seen the big-time emergence of, for example, superhero movies. Like, superhero movies weren't around as much. You know, when I was a kid, there was the odd one. But these days, it's basically like every, you know, second or third movie, at least, is a a superhero movie. And I wonder if that's almost like this connection with, oh, geez, it's almost like a, a non-religious mythology again, in a way. Like, you know, the, the superhero idea, like the idea of a, a superhero is almost that they're an archetype, you know, it's there's supernatural elements to it. There's, you know, these ideas that involve, say, like, values and being good and you know like good versus evil all these sorts of things like in some ways like they're, they're religious ideas but we're almost developing a more secular language to describe some of this stuff and i know that Dad, the coincidence project is a, a organization that you've been involved in well do you want to tell us a little bit about that and maybe a little bit about how i believe the coincidence project is also maybe a bit of a say response in order to develop some more maybe secular language or some more, say, accessible language for people who haven't grown up with organised religion around, say, sacred experiences and experiences that are, are meaningful and give us meaning in our life in terms of that, I suppose, coherence idea?
1: Okay, well, the Coincidence Project is an international project that I'm involved in where people are interested in meaningful coincidences, so synchronicity and serendipity, And so we've just started a website at thecoincidenceproject.net, and that has information about our group. But particularly, what we're looking to do is to encourage people to tell their stories of synchronicity, meaningful coincidences. And that is something which is a form of sacred story, meaning it gets at this other kind of dimension in life. But I think just to say first, it might be worth talking about a couple of these stories, including using an example from Carl Jung. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist who coined the term synchronicity, he was one of the most famous and influential psychiatrists from the last century. He lived until about the early 1960s, but still has a profound impact on our culture and everyday life now, including a greater yearning for exploring intuition and experiences that go beyond just the rationally explained. He spoke up for that, including in his psychotherapy and beyond that with his use of dreams and and also the experience of synchronicity. And here was an example that he gave of how some kinds of experiences, they go beyond the rational, but they can lead to profound change for an individual. One of the most famous examples was... Jung was seeing a woman, a client, who was very rationalistic in her thinking, very logical, very rational, but she was stuck in her life in certain kind of ways. Well, one day she reported to Jung a certain dream that she had. And in this dream, someone gave her a scarab beetle. Now, there's different significance that could go with a scarab beetle, But the thing I'll highlight here is the uncanny coincidence of just when she mentioned about this scarab beetle there's this tapping at the window and Jung opens the window and in comes an insect which was actually I believe it was called a a rose schaefer but this insect which wasn't commonly seen at the time it certainly didn't usually fly in windows into a darkened room from the bright light outside but this Insect. It turned out to be the closest thing to a golden scarab. So the woman mentions about this dream of being given a golden scarab, tap, tap, tap on the window, Jung opens it, grabs this insect in his hand, opens it up to her and says, is this your golden scarab? And the woman's blown away. She thinks that this is just the most amazing kind of coincidence. I can't explain that in usual rational ways and she became much more open to the intuitive It was transformative for her that experience. So the timing was exquisite. The meaning was impactful. It led to a shift in her personality functioning. Now, you can't explain that kind of thing in rational terms, but how could you possibly come up with some kind of logical therapy intervention that could be anywhere near as powerful as helping her shift her mindset and become a little bit more flexible and open? So, hence, meaningful coincidence. And Jung had already been on about synchronicity before that example and he has hundreds of very powerful examples. For example, in his book, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, that's got the most remarkable examples in it, including of how Jung himself had this dream of Europe covered in rivers of blood. Jung himself is thinking, am I going psychotic? He turned to a psychiatrist friend and said, look, I'm having these dreams and blood everywhere and am I going nuts? Fortunately, it was a psychiatrist who was more open-minded and said, no, look, this might relate to some other kind of experience in some way. No, it doesn't mean you're going nuts. And then World War I broke out soon afterwards and Jung thinks, ah, there's the rivers of blood that's where this comes in in other words there's some kind of higher consciousness or what he referred to as a collective unconscious that we can tap into this is where he was almost showing some kind of precognition it would seem that related so closely to what came afterwards that that's an example that it might not be rationally explained especially at first but it doesn't mean going nuts doesn't mean being psychotic he was tapping into a deeper larger consciousness that had all sorts of meaning from then. So that was just one example of how being open to the notion of learning from meaningful coincidences or sacred experience can have a transcendent kind of impact. Well, I
0: think it's a you know amazing story, and like obviously you mentioned about not being able to explain it in say rational terms. Like the other thing that strikes me about that is like you wouldn't be able to ignore it either. You know, you could be the most rationalistic person in the world. But there are certain experiences that can sort of just, you know, knock you in between the eyes and you go, what on earth is going on there? Like, heard a, a brilliant story recently from Jim Carey who like, I believe is a bit of a, a practitioner of this way of thinking and uh, and has used it throughout his life to basically, I suppose, you know, get what he wants in certain situations. But he has this story about describing, and I'll put up the video of it because, you know, he describes it a lot better than I will, but... Uh, you can even youtube i believe it's called jim carrey finds the answer to his prayers or something like that i'll put it up on the podcast page for today at sykesbills.com.au but it talks about being in, in early primary school and he had this you know i believe irish catholic teacher and you know he said something along the lines oh you know like why are you so happy or something like this and the teacher said oh you know because basically whenever i want something i, I close my eyes and I, I pray to the mother mary and and she asks god and you know i, I offer to give something up in return and and i get whatever I want and so you know young Jim Carrey goes oh well I wouldn't want a bike (laughs) and so I believe he went home and sort of prayed for this bike and two weeks later I think there was a a bike waiting for him in his, his lounge room and what had happened was I think one of his friends had entered him in a raffle and he'd won this bike so he you know out of the literal ether you know he hadn't even entered this raffle ends up winning this bike two weeks after praying for it, and it's this thing that, you know, like, oh, we've seen a little bit more in recent years, say this idea of, like, the law of attraction, of, you know, like, manifestation, like, they're out there almost, you know, irrational ideas in some ways, Dad, but at the same time, like, there's so much anecdotal evidence of people who go through their whole life at times almost relying on this kind of wacky mechanism and it seems to just work for them. It's so bizarre how it happens. There is no almost rational way of explaining it, but it just does seem that people, you know, are able to benefit from
1: these kind of irrational, I'd almost describe, yeah, like supra rational tools. Yes, I certainly relate to that notion. That's the kind of term I use for it, rational because it's beyond rational. And as I've written about in The Positive Psychology of Synchronicity, in my own personal life experience, I've never achieved more powerfully than when I've looked to deliberately tap into that power of rational thinking, which to me is often being open to synchronicity and being prepared to interpret it in certain ways it actually relates to a podcast we had recently to you know 10 steps to experiencing more synchronicity and the idea of that is if we're open to that other kind of experience that intuitive experience in our life which seems to have more of a psychic quality at times a sacred quality to it sometimes we can access a kind of insight We call it a kind of noetic understanding. It's like knowing something without being able to account for how you know it, part of mystical experience that way. But sometimes to me it's been the most powerful thing to help address certain kinds of wicked problems or very challenging problems that certainly in my life I couldn't address in any rational way. But being open to that, then a path or alternatives or choices became evident or opportunities came up and it's like wow that is so mind-blowing but now I can see a way I can deal with this challenging situation and then it works like a charm and those people who experience things like that sometimes dare I say sadly will keep the experience to themselves because it's so hard to explain to other people in a rational way and people think this is so profound what I've experienced it's so helpful it's so beneficial and yet people won't necessarily be sharing that experience so much because they think, oh, other people will think I'm nuts. They'll think I'm wacky. So that's partly where we got together with the Coincidence Project. We want people to share their stories. So those of us involved in it, many of us are authors. Some of us work in the mental health field, like Bernie Beitman, the psychiatrist, and myself. There are others who are therapists. There are people who have a clairvoyant background. There are people who are researchers They're people who come from a range of different walks of life. And so we've pulled our resources and our interests, including to get this website going, thecoincidenceproject.net, to have a place where people can send their stories people can write about their stories and send them in and it normalizes it we're looking to destigmatize these themes around synchronicity and sacred experience and when people read of other experiences and they might include some kind of manifesting as you describe it might include something which leads the person to change their life direction based on some experience it might include a sense of connection with the deceased. It might include people feeling like they have a telepathic connection with their siblings or other family members and acknowledging that as maybe a reality for them. It doesn't mean they're nuts. They're actually right. They do have some of this connection, which probably relates more to quantum physics and notions of entanglement. It's not like it's alien from scientific ideas but it's not easily explained rationally. So what we're on about is encouraging people to tell their stories. And I'll mention shortly about a launch party next month for that. Well, what
0: strikes me about that is that, you know, like obviously normalising it is, is one thing. And obviously that's a almost an indirect benefit, I wonder in some ways of it, Dad, because it seems to me that there is an element of, you know, experiencing something like this, like even, you know, inherently in the fact that it is sort of beyond rational, like we're not able to explain it in rational terms. Like it seems to me there's almost say two say layers or two say elements to an event like that. There's the event in itself in terms of you know what we go through, the emotions that it makes us feel, but then it's almost like a, a different level of processing if we were to tell someone about that and actually have a, a physical conversation about it. It's a completely different way of even understanding it. And then it's almost like, say, two weeks beyond having that conversation, we can perceive it in a new way. And it's almost like as we tell someone about it,
1: then it engages, it's almost like more tools that we have to be able to process something. Yeah, it's funny. Like, as you're describing that, what comes to my mind is we talk about a collective unconscious, like a source of different images in our dreams, but it's almost like when we tell our stories of synchronicity meaningful coincidences to other people it's almost like it becomes part of our collective consciousness like we're more aware of it we can affirm each other we can validate each other other people can respond to it and say they relate to it and part of the coincidence project is encouraging people to tell their stories in a way that's accessible and having practice in that, and so there are different tips even there on how people might tell their stories, like keeping it fairly brief, what are the two different incidents that combine to make the coincidence, what's the context for that and what's the main meaning that we draw from it or what impact does it have for us. If we get used to telling those stories to each other at affirms ourselves in having that experience it's a validating experience it helps other people relate to it in some ways it opens us more to our intuition it's acknowledging this mystical dimension in life or allowing for a consciousness beyond ourselves it takes out the stigma it amplifies the meaning so we hope that in having a forum that people can become more confident and assured dare I say, mutually we can become more enlightened, learning from each other's experience that often is taboo. Because funnily enough, I find these days as a psychologist, I think people find it easier often to tell their stories of traumatic experiences and even abuse than they do to tell some of their, dare I say, more spooky stories of synchronicity. And we've got to change that. Because when there's something that's uplifting, it's helpful for someone's well-being or it helps them understand something further or appreciate the meaning of something more it gives them further motivation or insight in a certain area that's worth sharing and that's what we're on about and so I suppose that's part of the wider scope of people sharing their sacred experience in other ways it's not always coincidences but in the coincidence project naturally we're focusing particularly on synchronicity and serendipity and to me, that, that element of insight
0: seems like such a big part of it, Dad, in terms of, you know, like there's, say, rational insight and, you know, we could spend, you know, our entire life learning about rationality but at the end of the day, there are other places that we can gain insight from and it seems to me that the Coincidence Project is trying to, in some ways, codify a, a tool
1: or a, a technology
0: in a way that's able to give us further insight.
1: That's a very good way of putting it. And if people want to learn more about the Coincidence Project, the launch party is next month. Now, here's the downside or the bad news for people in Australia like ourselves. The launch party is on the 18th of February, American time. What that means in Australia is those of you, say, in Melbourne or Sydney, like myself in Geelong, that means getting up in the morning on February the 19th to Sunday at 3 a.m., However, for people in the United States, that will be 11am on Saturday the 18th. So that's one thing about having an international project to be connected with this group. I'm used to getting up in the middle of the night now, at least once a month, and I'll certainly be there for that launch party because those of us involved in the Coincidence Project will be introducing ourselves, but it'll be an initial experience of encouraging people in breakout groups to tell their stories. So people who join that launch party will be able to meet others who are like-minded, interested in that topic. But in the meantime, also, if people turn to the website, The coincidenceproject.net, that's a way of learning more, not just about the launch party, but other meetings. And there'll be other different kinds of seminars, educational experiences. There'll be different things that we do through that project where we're connecting people and creating forums for people to tell their stories and also to explore further the meaning that might come with coincidences.
0: Well, that's where it's good to uh, have a bit of an international audience at times, Dad. Like, obviously, yeah, you mentioned about our Aussie audience, but I think it is about a third of our audience are, are our good friends from overseas. So hello to everyone who is uh, listening from, you know, beyond the Australian borders. And, and hopefully that'll work out for you on that day. But I believe there is going to be some things that are a little bit more forgiving in terms of Australian time, Dad. So you've got to, uh, you've got to advocate for
1: us Antibodeans down here. Absolutely and there will be things that we do down the track that are more friendly times for Australia and so I'll be involved in a seminar or two down the track but there'll be other things that we do that mean that people wherever they are in the world can have some times that suit and there might also be different recordings that people have access to as well. Well, I'm uh, not sure if I've fully got my
0: dates right, Dad, but just going through my head at the moment, I have a feeling that Newcastle might play Manchester City at about 2 o'clock on that morning. So if anyone wanted to, you know, get up maybe an hour earlier, they could catch the first half and, you know, be wide awake, ready to get into the launch of the Coincidence Project. So there's plenty
1: to do at that time of night, Dad, don't worry. Yes, funnily enough, in terms of dates... February the 18th, that's the American time, but it's the official time, something I relate to, that's the anniversary on which I started working as a psychologist. So that'll be exactly 43 years since I started my first day working as a psychologist. So that's a nice little private bit of synchronicity for me. Absolutely. I wasn't going to say, I wasn't going to ask you
0: the amount of years, Dad, but uh, there you go, you've just divulged it anyway, so... It's, uh, oh, it's, it's been great to chat to you about all this. I know this is a, a particular area of interest of yours and, and an area that there is a lot of exciting stuff coming up to do with the Coincidence Project and the people who are involved in that as well. We obviously interviewed Lisa Buxbaum at the end of, of last year and she's on the board, I believe, as well for the Coincidence Project and a, a range of other very interesting people too. So... We might have to to get a few on, Dad, and and have a chat to them and and I suppose have a bit more of a chat about this meaning stuff because, as I said, I'm in the middle of just the most, you know, interesting lecture series I've ever heard in my life and it's uh, a topic that I dare say we'll be coming back to.
1: Look forward to it, Rowan.